All right, we are um, up next with a very dear friend and a very dynamic speaker. Uh, one more keynote before we break for some yummy snacks. Um, so I want to introduce to you, uh, uh, for anyone who's ever been to SKUCon, uh, this person is no stranger to the SKUCon stage. Anyone who has attended an ASI show or a PPAI show is Again, someone that will recognize today's speaker. Um, Bobby Lee, Hugh, and I have known one another for many, many years. He's probably one of the first true industry friends I ever met. And that was, what, six, seven years ago. He's been long suffering. And whenever I do a SKUCon, I kind of have to beg to get Bobby to come and speak. I'm going to come over and so you guys can see me over here as well. Um, and Bobby is a much sought after speaker. He actually rejected me, not once, but twice, when I told him about SKUCon Chicago. He said, yeah, great idea, but I can't make it, which is his nice way of saying, not interested, buzz off, Graham. And I put on the charm and the salesmanship like no one's business to get this guy here. He's here on vacation. He's volunteering his time. He is definitely the smartest man in the industry. There's a bit of an inside <laughs> joke going on there, but joke. you're going to work That's with me. Not anywhere near Bobby, get up here. Get All up right. here. So I, I want to give a warm welcome to Bobby. Come here. And I've said, I've said to Bobby that this may be, in fact, the last time he ever speaks to me Damn right. again. But I'm going to hand this over to you. And he's also been a great sport because he's a Mac guy but we forced him to use the PC here. So, <laughs> sir, good luck. Thanks, Mark. I don't even know what he's going to talk about. It's just going to be great. Thank you. Everyone hear me OK? Everybody in the back hear me OK? I'm a little soft-spoken. No? A little louder? Can we turn up the, do you do have, you have it on? control over the volume? Have you turned it on? Oh, yeah, OK. Yeah, OK, I'll try and speak up. Yeah. You might want to put it up a little higher. All right, thanks. I'm glad this is so informal, because I'm scared of that. I thought I would begin a storytelling session with a story. If an arrow is well made, it will have tooth marks upon it. That is how you know. The Kiowa Indians made fine arrows, and they straightened them in their teeth. And then they drew them to the bow to see that they were straight. Once there was a man and his wife. They were alone at night in their teepee. By the light of the fire, the man was making arrows. After a while, he caught sight of something. There was a small opening in the teepee where two hides had been sewn together. Someone was there on the outside looking in. The man went on with his work, but he said to his wife, someone is standing outside. Do not be afraid. Let us talk easily as of ordinary things. And he picked up an arrow, and he straightened it in his teeth. And then, as was right for him to do, he drew it to the bow and took aim, first in this direction and then, then in that. And all the while he was talking, as if to his wife, but this is how he spoke. I know you are there on the outside, for I can feel your eyes upon me. If you are a Kiowa, you will understand what I am saying, and you will speak your name. But there was no answer. And the man went on in the same way, pointing the arrow all around, until at last his aim fell upon the place where the enemy stood, and he let go of the string, and the arrow went straight to the enemy's heart. 
The story I just told to you has been passed down from generation to generation and finally written down for us by Native American Pulitzer Prize winning author N. Scott Mamaday. Mamaday and I were born in the same town. That's where the similarities end. My heritage is Choctaw and Chickasaw. Mamaday's is Kiowan. If your angular gyrus, that part of your brain that's responsible for comprehending metaphor, was kind of like Jiffy Pop during that story, there's a reason. For the arrow maker is the storyteller. And for the storyteller, the language is like arrows. Mama Day said that we have become inundated with the written word. We have become sated and sensitive with the written word. The Native American culture had such esteem for the written word. They believe that not only the word can change them themselves, but intrinsically in and of themselves that words are powerful and can change. Mamaday says that storytelling not only creates the storyteller, but creates the audience themselves in the process. When Mamaday wrote that we have become sated and insensitive to the word, he said so in the 80s, long before the internet and digital deluge that we experience now. Today, what I hope to share with you are some storytelling secrets that you can use whether you're in a casual conversation with a friend or whether you are on the phone with a customer trying to resolve a problem or whether you're in the, mar you're in the marketing team trying to build creative assets. Because for us, storytelling is a form of currency, right? Robert McKee, screenwriting consultant to Hollywood, Stories are the currency of human contact. Stories are the currency of human contact. So we're going to move today beyond the who, what, when, where, why, and how of stories, right? Those interrogative pronouns that we all learned in high school and in college. We're going to move beyond that. Because the editors and the publishers, you know, the folks at PPB and ASI Counselor, they live and breathe these things. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And this is what most of us think storytelling is, but it's far more than that. So we're going to dig into a couple of secrets in storytelling. So we're going to get three methods of crafting and telling. The This American Life method. So if you're a fan of This American Life, we're going to dig into a few secrets that they have created along the way. We're going to discover the monomyth, Joseph Campbell's um, life-changing work on myths. And then, of course, the Mama Day method of storytelling as well. We're going to talk about three secrets, motion, meaning, and E plus E. Before we get into some of the secrets of storytelling, we have to understand why and just how important storytelling is to us today. Storytelling has been important for centuries. What you're seeing is a picture of the caves in Lascaux, France. You might be familiar with this. Werner Herzog did a, a documentary on this called The Cave of Forgotten Dreams. If you were a little boy about to go on your first hunting expedition, you were probably led by the hand down this labyrinth of caves through the darkest of dark until you entered a room that was about the size of a half of a football field. And it was full of images. Of course, they lit the torches, and the images were suddenly on the wall. Now, this is thousands of years ago. This was discovered just in the past hundred years in the caves in France. And experts have surmised that this is our first known utilization of story because the, the animals that were crafted onto the wall and burned onto the wall and painted onto the wall actually had uh, movement conveyed in the painting as well. So if you were a little boy, this was a hunting rite. It was an initiation. 
into your first expedition. Neil Gaiman said that stories are genuinely symbiotic organisms that we live with, that allow human beings to advance. The reason why I want to labor this for just a minute is because some of, us, some of us have to understand just how important story is to the human race. In the Paleolithic age, that's where you saw the caves of Lascaux, France, on through the Neolithic age where we find that goddesses are being dug up, which always around religion are the, are the uh, primacy of story, on into civilization where we have actually the first printed work by a female priest post uh, poetess uh, by the name of Enidwana, 700 years before the Epic of Gilgamesh was discovered, was this the first extant writing that we have. And then on through to the axial post and post-axial age that we are more familiar with, where we get our stories of the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the philosophy, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and this is where the major religions of the world emerged as well, right? Confucianism, Taoism, Christianity, Buddhism, Judaism, and the primacy of all of those is they were driven by story. Parables, narratives, proverbs, they were all driven by story. And then we start getting into the Western age. Now, um, Karen Armstrong wrote in her book the, 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 about myth, was that we sort of started to lose some of the magic and meaning that myth held for humankind for centuries. And you'll find this true as we move on into the industrial age as well where you and I are children of the industrial age, where we get into binary thinking, pros and cons, and logic. Larry Brown said that, I'm a firm believer that if you don't have a character in trouble, you don't have a story. This is most of us that have entered the sales force in the past 20 years, right? When Roger and Dana first entered the sales force, you know, years ago. This, this was them, this was me, right? With, armed with our dazzling smile and our product, we would approach the sale, our, our prospect who often looked like this. And even if this is not your prospect today, your prospect has changed, demographics have changed, inside this is how they look, right? <laughs> now, Roger and Dana and I were equipped with our industrial age and our 80s selling manual where we would go in with features and benefits selling, right? Pros and cons, logic. But any salesman, if you had encountered back in that time, even a 60-year-old veteran would have told you that story is the secret to unlocking a prospect's mind. See, the problem with this prospect is that he or she has cognitive dissonance. Margaret Hefferman wrote that cognitive dissonance is when the mind is trying to hold two entirely incompatible views. Right, I want to trust this person, I want to buy their product, but I don't trust this person, I want to buy their product. And story, George Steiner said, art is an enunciation, an enunciation that breaks into the small house of our cautionary being. And this is vital for us to understand as we're talking to people on a daily basis. So I'm in the same world that you are, talking to prospects and clients all the time. And I'll give you an example. We currently have about 16 prospective clients in the pipeline for our particular niche and company stores. And um, it is this that I'm going to show you that I have in my mind as I'm visiting with them as a model for how I can help them get past this mental turmoil they have about trusting us and believing in our product by using the power of story. Okay? 
The most important lesson for me probably in the past 20 years has been this right here. Because I'm an objectivity guy and I'm a pragmatist at heart, and it's been this. Martin Weigel, the head of planning with White and Kennedy, said that whatever Plato and Descartes may have told us, or whatever we as marketers might tell ourselves, people are at their core driven. Not by reason and choice, but by far more ancient, intuitive, and often irrational emotions, impulses, and instincts. If you want to move people's behaviors, you have to emotionally move them. It is commonplace to make the distinction between artistic and commercial endeavors, the muse versus the market, commerce versus the art, objectivity versus subjectivity, but these are false distinctions. For as cultural participants, as weavers of magic, as meaning creators, both the artist and the salesman must seek to overcome the challenge of indifference. And I don't want us to, to miss this, that in order to move people's behaviors, we have to emotionally move them. See, people make decisions emotionally and justify them rationally. People make decisions emotionally and they justify them rationally. Unlike what I thought as an objectivity features benefit sales guy, that people made decisions rationally. Not true. Not true at all. So how do we craft a compelling company story? Our industry in particular really has to pay attention to one critical aspect. And that is what my friend Ann Hanley said. That in order for us to unlock the secret of a great story, that we have to make the customer and their, object, their objectives the hero of the story, not the product. And I'm going to speak primarily to distributors, but also to suppliers, because we have different challenges and we're different businesses. But one of the challenges is, and, and um, this has been a long, hard lesson to learn. Suppliers sell product, distributors sell purpose. But through the years, what we have done is we have taken, because of our lack, distributors' lack of a true sales and marketing plan and initiative, we have taken the, the model of a supplier, drawn down that information, and then pushed this out to our market. But suppliers go to market in an entirely different way than distributors go to market, right? Suppliers sell product, distributors sell purpose. When you have a client that, call you, that calls you, they have a problem, an objective, something they're trying to overcome. And I'm going to show you the difference because I think this, this visual does it better than I can in my thousand ramble-like ramble -like Rain Man words that I often use. So Anne Hanley says, make the customer the hero of the story. I'm going to show you two commercials. On the left, you're going to see a Samson commercial, and this is where the product is the hero of the story. On the right, of course, you're going to see one of Apple's many famous videos where they show the customer as the hero of the story. There is something magical happening right now as you watch this video. And that is, as you as, a, as an observer are imagining yourselves in the role of the protagonist. Are you not? Is that not you running along with your iPhone? Is that not you taking pictures of, of things with your iPhone? This is a huge distinction. The poet Jane Hirschfeld said that before the mind can enter a new perception, it has to imagine itself into existence in tangible ways. It has to imagine itself into existence in tangible ways. Huge difference. Now, is our product specifications unimportant? Of course not. Like we work with the oil and gas industry where I'm at. And flame retardant clothing specifications are very, very important. But what you and I are missing, again, is that 
People make decisions emotionally and justify them rationally, even so. So product-specific marketing has a place. What it doesn't have is a place all the time in our entire industry. I'm going to show you uh, one of my favorite brands, which is Fry, Brute, Fry Boots. And they have lovely boots handcrafted for years. I've been a fanboy for a long time. And they started a maker series. And uh, they're very short, little short videos of artists, the heroes of their stories, which are their customers, and what they do in their fry boots day in and day out, which I think is more compelling, don't you? Than if you saw a video painting across that lovely, as much as I love it, that lovely handcrafted leather and tooling and all that. All, some of that's important. It has its place. But in order for us to capture the emotional heart of a customer and their mind, we have to tap into them as prime. There's nobody more important than you or I in the room, right? Who is it the oldest sales uh, guru, uh, Gittimer, used to say? Two people in the room, you and the customer, right? One of you, who, who's the most important person in the room? So the old sales guy, of course, me, would say, well, the customer, right? And Gittimer would say, okay, let me ask it a different way. Two people in the room, one of you has to drop dead. Who's the most important person in the room, <laughs> right? So in all of this storytelling and story creation, what we are talking about is projecting ourselves into the role of the protagonist, the most important person in the story. So let's move on to a couple methodologies for storytelling. And I want to stress that what I'm about to show you is what Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, and George Lucas all claim that were it not for this archetype, they never would have made movies. And this is the monomyth. Many of you may be familiar with this uh, from Joseph Campbell's lifelong study of myths. I've been a Joseph Campbell fan for years. But uh, there's a Hollywood expert that took his study of myth and found out that of all stories, of all myths, of all methodologies and philosophies, you can boil down the essentials of story down to this one prime story. Willa Cather said there are only two or three human stories, and they go on repeating themselves as fiercely as if they had never happened before. Now, when I show you this, what I want you to think of are all the movies that you've seen that fit this model. And the reason we're looking at it is because we're looking for an archetype ourselves, for an example for us to tell stories. Whether this is stories with us and our friends and our family, whether we're telling stories on the phone to a customer, whether we're telling stories, excuse me, stories in our marketing, in our writing or in our video creation, this is the methodology that we should be following. First, we have the hero, who is the customer. And the customer receives a call to an adventure. Now, think of Star Wars. Think of the Lion King. There's always the hero, and the hero is always, almost always reluctant to heed the call, right? And along the way, the hero meets this threshold guardian supernatural aid, a mentor, a helper. And uh, what you're seeing the line there is above the line is the known world, below the line is the unknown world. Now the other thing I want you to think about is all of your clients, all of their projects, whether you're in short-term transactional sales or whether you're in a long-term selling model, this works in terms of how to convey story to a client. Clients the hero, they meet a threshold guardian, a supernatural aid. They cross this chasm, the beginning of their transformation called the threshold of adventure. 
And then that's where they meet their challenges and temptations. And by the way, the threshold guardian usually arms the hero with some type of elixir. Maybe it's a lightsaber. Maybe, maybe it's uh, uh, the Wizard of Oz. Maybe it's a slipper, right? When you think of all the stories, most of the stories, most of the movies that you have seen fit this pattern. They go through this life-changing experience, this revelation, this abyss of death and rebirth, and through this transformation, and then they go through this atonement pattern, and then they return back to the normal world with the gift of what they've received. Back to the normal world with the gift of what they've received. Now, what I'm going to do is show you a commercial where someone has sort of used parts of this pattern to tell their story, okay? The thing I want you to remember before I hit play is that there's a temptation in our industry to think that what we sell is not exciting. I hope by the time I'm done with this that you will find out that it's absolutely not true, that we are perpetuating a lie in the industry that what we sell doesn't matter, which is absolute bullshit. There's a, there's a vein that runs our industry that people are proud to have made an income, but they're not necessarily proud of the medium. That's not this room, because I think this room are, is full of passionate people who believe in what they do, right? The reason why I labor this point is because this is a commercial about butter. Butter is a commodity. Now, butter's righteous, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> it's a commodity. And I want you to see and look for the patterns that we've seen in the hero's journey in this commercial, okay? Tonight, as we stand on the edge of possibility, we choose the path less troubled. See the pattern? With lure pack by our side. Customer was the hero of the story, the customer cooking, the average cook. They received a call to adventure. They met a threshold guardian who armed them with their special elixir, which in this case was righteous butter as we know it. Now, I want to actually, as I walk through this with you, this, this applies to the smallest transaction. But I'm going to tell you how this applies in my mind as I'm talking to a prospect on a long-term sale called a company store, okay? So that you can see this really does apply to real life. When I receive a call from a prospect, I realize that they have a problem. They're leaving the normal world and they have to go create a solution for their company. Now sometimes they resist the call because they're burdened and they don't have time for this and they're irritated, but they've sometimes been given the call that they have to go find something. And they meet me and you. And we are the threshold guardian. You see, we're not the main character in the story. We are supporting characters in the story. The 
product is not unimportant. It's just not the primary character in the story. So I am the helper. You are the helper. We are the threshold guardian. We will take our customers, arm them with what they need, and help them get through their challenges and temptations so that they can experience this revelation and find success with our guidance. Think of Obi-Wan, right? Obi-Wan's existence, in and out of the life of Luke Skywalker. Now, I know this sounds melodramatic, and you're going, oh my god, this is a bit too much. Remember, we're looking for, this is an archetype. This is a type of story. This is just a guide for us to understand how to think and talk with customers as we're working with them. Suppliers that come to our office do wonderful jobs at product knowledge information sessions. Can you imagine if they walked in with a story, and some of them do, of a distributor that just landed a $30,000 deal because in their world, the distributor is the hero of the story, and they began their presentations with something like this, and their presentations were full of this, and the products that they were featuring were the very important, quirky, weird supporting characters, but the real part of the journey was the hero, right? It, it can transform the way our selling process works. And here's the most interesting part about it, is that we are fatigued by marketing messages. This is what happened with social media and all of us that got into that. We put platforms and technology ahead of story. And now we're paying the price. The reason why the business community is now paying attention to story is because we realize how poorly we tried to shove the old methodology of advertising messages through this, this new and exciting digital format, and it didn't work. It just became more and more noise. By the way, it's not true. You know the busy trap where people say, I'm busy, that's a common response. We all know now that's BS. Sort of the new busy trap is distractedness. Oh, my client's too distracted, they will never listen to that. Oh, my client's too distracted, they never pay attention to that. Well, it's not true. Monitor your own behaviors and your own work habits. You've got crisis after crisis going on, and what happens? You go pay attention to some story for a microsecond. You know why? Because we crave immersive experiences. We crave immersive experiences. Even if it's a micro-immersive experience, we crave it. The poet Charles Simic said that the mind has an insatiable hunger for narrative. And we constantly are looking because we crave immersive experiences because we are either trying to find ourselves or lose ourselves all the time. And that's why we hop into these little worlds with these stories. That's why we, and it's amazing today, people say people are, are so distracted, they won't read, they won't listen to our marketing messages, which is entirely not true. Long-form media has never had an experience like they've had. We come up with the word Netflix binging for a re reason, right? Long-form media, the independent bookstores are on the rise because people are wanting immersive experiences. And you and your marketing messages can help give them that if we just learn how to frame our stories the right way. Now, for our clients then, the wonderful return that they get to take back to the normal world is the ROI. Now, again, if this sounds far-reaching, I, I, I will stress at the end of this why this is really important in the emotional quadrant as I'm talking to customers as we're working through challenges. I want to show you uh, this story. I'm the distributor to thank you. Okay, so um, can you tell us a little bit about this story real quick?
Um, from there, she posted a picture of a box. I recognized the box. It came from Lion Circle, where the buttons came from. And it's been used multiple times now to send back kits 10 times. And they've found, sorry, <laughs> they've found 10 matches so far just from her doing these donations. Okay. Now, this presentation was born out of thank you. The, my frustration for years of sitting beside prospects and clients who would turn and I would ask them what they would do at a luncheon and they would tell me and when it was interesting and it was exciting and then they turned to me and they'd ask that question, the dreaded question, what do you do? And I came up with creative ways. I, I used way too many words as is my way and it always fell flat. Because many of us resort to that dreaded phrase when they can't figure it out and you're trying to be creative with marketing messaging and you finally say, you know, hats, pins, and stuff with your logo on it. <laughs> the laughter is knowing, right? All guilty. You're all guilty. The old me would have sat down by somebody and said, they said, what do you do? And this order would have been fresh on my mind. And I said, I'm in the business of celluloid buttons. A couple of things are going on in that conversation, like when I sat by the vice president of John Deere for the first time at their marketing department, and she says, what do you do? I said to her, last week, 1,700 employees showed up at a billion-dollar company. On their desk was a beautifully wrapped gift that announced the brand-new company logo. That day, it was a surprise to everyone. They opened their gift, they pulled out a coupon, they went to the company store, and they each got to spend $200 for swag that would help them celebrate that momentous occasion. What do I do? I help create brand champions. That's what I do. And then I launch into what it is that we did, the packing, the shipping, the creative, the product, and everything else. The, the language, I mean, the conversation changes dramatically. Why? Because I put the client and their objective and their story in front of the product. I still got to talk about product. Now, I'm going to show you this video, and we may have to cut it off about halfway through, but that's why I put the web address here for you, because I want you to hear this story. Hi, my name is Kelly Huebner. I'm seven years old. I love Kelly. Hi, my name is Kelly Huebner. I love Kelly. My favorite color is purple, and I love him very, very
that um, four children uh, passed away. Within a year, we've swabbed 1,300 people, and we found four matches for four other families, just like ours who were waiting, and we started a charity called Hallie's Heroes. I think it's the most empowering thing we've ever done since Hallie got sick, because for once in the last seven years, we have now taken control of her illness, and we're going to find a cure, or we're going to find a match. And it's liberating to not be so scared all the time. We have really fell in with some great people and organizations here in Texas and also in Virginia. We're working with a UNT fraternity called Phi Kappa Sigma. Hallie loves the guys. She loves playing with them and coming over to visit. We are working with Target Distribution Center. Right? Hallie is the hero of the story. The customer and their objective. And I know that's a rather dramatic story, but how dare you tell anybody you're in the celluloid button business when you're not in the celluloid button business. Now, I am not being melodramatic. I've had two kids that have cancer, that have had cancer. I have seen more of these stories in my lifetime, than in, in my short years, than most people ever see in their lifetime. And the branding, the messaging that's so vital to these families is critical. What you do is important. Myths and stories are inspiration for aspiration. So let's shift gears a little bit, a little bit. Especially now that like we can all take a deep breath. It's okay. We can take a deep breath. I want you to remember that what we do also helps celebrate, right? Vonnegut has eight key factors about telling stories, okay? And we're going to look at a few key ones. Number one is give the reader at least one character he or she can root for. Every character should want something, even if it is only a glass of water. Every sentence must do one of two things, reveal character or advance the action. And then, of course, one is give your readers as much information as, as soon as possible. Every character should want something, even if it is only a glass of water. This is one of the biggest points that I want to, want to convey in our storytelling as we talk about crafting stories. Every character wants something, from the cookies and Lurpak butter, to the family that has cellular buttons and t-shirts, to the client that has a simple trade show and they just need people to come by their booth. Every major character has something to want. Now, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're talking about how to create a compelling company story. So I know I've labored this point that the customer is the hero of the story. I will tell you that there are exceptions, and one exception is there is an important time when the organization and the company can be the focal point of a story. In Scott Mamaday has what he calls the narrative wheel when he tells a story. And he basically has three voices that he uses. And what we're shifting to now is a company or organization story. How he uses myth, history, and memoir as a way to tell the story. Tradition and lore and myth is the voice of the elder. History is the actual historical context of the company or the organization. And memoir, this is the most important part, memoir is that person's personal reflection on what it means to them about the company and the organization. So, an article in Forbes, fantastic article, said that building your story question, uh, said that companies with, Alan Hall said companies with the best stories win. So here are some questions you can ask yourself if you're trying to tell a better company story. 
Myth and lore, why did we create the company? What problems were we resolving in the marketplace? How are we going to be different than the myths that surround the perceptions of our industry? Why are we passionate about it? History, by the way, this is really important if you're talking to investors or if you're talking to new employees. Myth, history, and memoir. On my desk uh, at, my, at the office, I have the very first product that we sold 25 years ago. I just celebrated my 25th year in the industry. And it's a little crystal keychain. The very first one, I'm really proud that it's there. And here's what happens to all of us experts in the room. And I use experts on purpose because you know what you're doing. You're pros. The reason why story is so important is because you have too much information in your head. And when you're talking to a prospect or client, you vomit this information out to them. And they don't hear the story. And this little keychain, now after 25 years, and basically, it's a heavy keychain because it holds basically $100 million worth of stories. And I have to shell the expert into me, in me, and I have to turn to the person that I'm talking to and say, this is how the company started. And it's an iconic symbol, and it's very important because we as people love rituals and we love symbols. And so I began talking to them since launching, how we've developed our own unique value proposition. What is our grand purpose? What have we learned along the way that would be helpful to potential customers? And then I add into that my own memoir. I construct my own interpretation of the founding and the history of the company. Now, what I want to show you is, after this slide, a video by UPS that's going to integrate the two, a customer-centric story as well as a company story. This is a beautiful article. I encourage you to read it. It's, it's by Moshin Hamid, uh, the author of The Reluctant Fundamentalist. And he had an article that said why companies need novelists, why they need storytellers, and why we all need to be storytellers. He said that companies need story at three critical junctures in their development. One is at birth. The second is when new leadership or there's an acquisition. And the third is when they're having difficulty growing. Very, very important. If you're going as a business or organization through any of these phases, that you really boil down to its essence the story that's going to help convey your critical ideas. Because as we learn from the cognitive dissonant audience that we have, story will cut through all the marketing BS that they think that's being shoveled at them, right? And what you need to find is a new unifying narrative that all employees and stakeholders can grasp. So what I'm going to show you is a video that UPS, I think, has done this in a very, very lovely way. Countries around the world, pregnant women are at risk of losing their babies, all because of something many of us take for granted. When expectant mothers get the flu shot, they stay healthy and give their babies a better chance of survival. It was almost flu season in Laos, and we were asked to deliver 375,000 doses of donated vaccines. The challenge wasn't just keeping them at a constant 41 degrees so they wouldn't go bad, but also figuring out the best route, coordinating the right people across five countries, and planning for anything that could happen over the 9,000 mile journey. To make things even more complicated, we only had a few days to pull it off. I'm Margaret Clayton with the UPS Healthcare Team. We've always believed that our technology and our people working together can solve any problem. Our team monitored the vaccines in their temperature-controlled containers from Kentucky to freezing-cold Alaska, then Seoul, Shenzhen, and Bangkok, and then another eight-hour drive north through tropical heat. 
you test the vaccines within the required temperature range the entire way. From the moment you find out you're pregnant, you live for that baby's future. And when something as simple as a flu shot can begin to trial with another skull, it becomes so much more than just a job. Now, if, if you're with UPS, are you in the parcel packing business? You're not. Uh, one thing I didn't, I didn't point out here was this is a, a diagram from John Mackey of Whole Foods. This is called his stakeholder illustration. And I encourage you all to do this. This was an eye-opener to me as I evaluated our own business ecosystem. And Dana Zezel was very important to me several years ago in helping us to understand just the primacy of our vendor partners. Um, and, and this will help you as you're trying to develop your own company story as well. So let's talk about telling a compelling story, the This American Life method. All right, there are three secrets. Um, how many have listened to This American Life podcast? I encourage you, if you haven't, haven't listened to it, to go listen to the used car lot episode. Halfway through an American Life episode, you're going to say, why the hell am I listening to this story? I'm about to show you why. They talk about the three keys they have to storytelling. One is action, the sequence of actions that compels the story forward. Number two is stakes. This is the bait, raising a question. There has to be something at stake. And then this final one is a moment of reflection, an empathy moment, why you're listening to the story. I'll give you an example, very simple, basic example. I woke up in the morning, and the house was eerily calm. Right? Not a simple story. Why, what's compelling about that? The compelling part is that we just raised the stakes, right? Well, why is the house really calm? And, you, and, and then, of course, uh, the protagonist might say, I woke up early in the morning. I sat up in bed. The house was eerily calm. I thought to myself, what if no one is here? There's a reflection moment. Now, this is going to sound so simple, but I want you to go back and listen to this American Life episode and find these patterns repeated. They repeat this pattern in and out and in and out. So as you're constructing a story, you need to keep this in mind. And what we can do is we can actually build little, craft little timelines that would help us. If you're trying to tell a customer story, it'd be helpful to diagram this out. Once upon a time, the stakes, what was the challenge? This happened, a moment of reflection, then this happened, all right? Now I'm gonna provide at last the secrets, the, the secret ingredients of all compelling stories. These are the most important, and these are the most important for our industry in particular, all right? This, I changed this last portion for our industry in particular. John Lasseter said, if you can make people laugh, cry, and feel things with your film, your stories, you will be successful. My uh, mother is named after Teata, the, the most famous Native American storyteller. She's Chickasaw Indian, and her dad told her once that stories are like ragweed. So the branches spread out this way and that. They all come from the same root. And that root is empathy. In 1978, when Apple was formed, they created a three-point marketing plan that they still follow to this day. By the way, it was not created by Steve Jobs. It was created by Mike Markler, their first investor. And it was three basic points. One was empathy, to have extreme empathy into the customer and what they want. Number two is focus, to focus on a minimal number of products, and we know they did that. And number three, which was hilarious, impute the desired qualities into the minds of the audience. Impute the desired qualities of our products into the minds of the audience. But the one I want us to focus on is this empathy. 
and these emotions. In Starbucks, right? Starbucks, again, what's compelling about Starbucks? Coffee's a commodity. Do you see the trend that I'm trying to push here into our industry so very so subtly and not so subtly? Packaging, butter, coffee, commodities, commodities, commodities. Frankly, a whole lot less sexy maybe coffee. Coffee's righteous too, but you know, than, than our industry and what we sell. Howard Schultz said that Starbucks coffee is exceptional, yes, but emotional connection is the value proposition. This is a subtle concept, and this is for all of you pragmatists in the room. It's a subtle concept, often too subtle for many business people to replicate or cynics to appreciate. This has been me for years in this business. I'm a cynic, and I'm a pragmatist. Somebody would put a squeezy little thing on my desk, and I would go, what the hell is that? And I'm in the business. Wrong, right? What we sell is a vehicle for an emotional transaction to occur. That's what we sell. And we've already, I've already proven to you that people make decisions emotionally and justify them rationally, right? So let me ask you a question. Shout it out. How does this brand make you feel? Don't tell me an adjective like they're creative. What is Apple? How do they make you feel? When I see an Apple logo or an Apple product, I feel what? Empowered. Connected. <laughs> that too. All right. I feel cool. I feel smarter. I feel artistic. And I feel energized, right? That's what I feel. When I look at UPS, we ship 50,000 packages a year. We spend 350. Some of you folks in the room are spending a hell of a lot more. I'd love to see Fugay's freight bill. Uh, um, what does your carrier mean? When you see FedEx or UPS, how, how, what, how do they make you feel? I know how they make me feel. They make me feel relieved, safe, confident, and strong. How does Levi's? What's that? What's that? <laughs> um, yeah, it depends on the day and the order. And uh, Yeah, no, I understand. I understand. I take those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that too. All right. Levi's, how do you feel? Young, comfortable, relaxed, groovy M&Ms. How do you feel? All right. We got to have this emotion injection into our industry and what we do. We need to understand that our customers buy this way. I mean, we live in a culture that's communicating by emoticons and GIFs. GIFs, GIFs, whatever the hell it is, whatever. This is how people are communicating. And this is what we have to tap into, right? When I sell company stores, by the way, this was a, a, a big moment for me. When I walked into, uh, we landed a customer that has been a customer for 10 years, and they've done around $350,000 a year. I thought we were in the product business. I thought we were in the company store business. I walked in. I saw the vice president of marketing in the hallway. She came up to me, and she said, you, I need to talk to you. This is a year after we launched this store. And I said, yes, ma'am. She, she, she said, you have no idea how easy you have made things for me and my team. That's funny. I thought we were in the promotional products business. We weren't. We were in the business of making branded products simple. And if she could communicate it in an interjection, it would have been, whew. Right? But you saved us so much time. That's me in 10 years. This is a true story. This is not actually Steve Martin. Mark and I took a road trip. And this is me at the very end of the road trip. I was with the Canadian. It was awful. So if you're in the cupcake business and you're sitting by somebody, what do you say? 
Do you say you're in the business of selling cupcakes? Of course not. You don't say I own a bakery. You know what you say? I sell happiness in a cup. Can you imagine sitting by the owner of a small business and you're sitting at a luncheon on the Chamber of Commerce and they say, and what do you do? If you said cupcakes, you would commoditize yourself immediately, right? Price and cost become an issue right then and there. You could say, I sell happiness in a cup. I can have it at your company and make your employees happy at 3.15 on, on Friday. Would you like that? Oh, hell yeah, I'd like that. Be awesome, right? Please don't misunderstand today that all this sounds incredibly simple, but Hollywood doesn't spend billions of dollars because storytelling is easy. In fact, the real honest truth is storytelling is really hard, and that's why most of us don't do it. What I hope I've showed you today are some secrets that can make it just a little bit easier, all right? Let me ask you, are you in the acrylic scarf business? What do you sell? Do you sell acrylic scarves? Or do you sell this? The language we use with our customers is so vitally important, right? Because we're not in the promotional marketing business, we're in the emotional marketing business. And what this means is we're trying to bring our clients from, from here to there. What is their mortar? What is their challenge? What is their huge issue they have to get past? We're trying to move them often from closed-minded to open-minded, apathy to interest, abstain to try, from naysayers to being advocates, right? Think of that button and the job that button has to do. We're trying to move people from disinterested to intrigued. We want them to be passionate. And our products are a vehicle for conveying those emotions. Kurt Vonnegut has these beautiful data visualizations. I just wanted to show it to you. And uh, you, can, you can download this on the presentation because we're running out of time. Uh, but it's very important as you're telling your stories to highlight the emotional apex and the emotional nadir. So we're going to move on here. So how do we find stories? I'm telling you as distributors, I could sit down with you in a day and we could find stories that would keep you busy for a year. And if you're a solo entrepreneur in the business, um, I want to encourage you and tell you that you do not have to go create beautiful video. You do not have to go craft beautiful messaging. You just have to simply look for one story a month that you can start turning that and telling it to your customers and prospects, right? Places you can find great stories are in your estimating and quoting, the potential deals in the pipeline, mistakes in recovery. Some suppliers have some beautiful stories on how they've recovered. We don't hear enough of those stories in the industry. The four walls inside your business. Meetings are the best place to pick up stories. And, and they're having a meeting about something entirely different, and you pick up this, wait, what happened with that project? Tell me a little bit more about that. Our foundational customers, of course, our purchase orders, our invoices, and then, of course, our new customers. What made them say yes? So who are you and what do you do? This is a slide I promised that we would talk about. And, and to me, this is the most important. Now when I sit down beside somebody and they say, what business are you in? What do you do? You know what I lead with? I lead with a store. I lead with a, a statement like this. Like if I'm in the awards business, I would never dare say I'm in the awards business. You are not in the crystal awards business, right? You create memorable moments and you follow it with a story. The vice president of John Deere, I said, we make branded products simple. She knows there's a setup. I followed it with a story, and immediately defenses, defenses came down, and she became interested and intrigued. We surprise and delight. This is what our industry does. We make branded products simple. That's what stores do. We are professional motivators. You're not in the Crystal Awards business. We create calls to action. We are the make things happen medium. You need somebody to come by your booth? I've got the mechanism to make them do that. You need people to sign up for this offer? I've got the mechanism that can make them do that. And you follow with a story. We are a fan factory. Remember the acrylic scarves? That's what we do. 
Every order sold is a story waiting to be told. Every order sold is a story waiting to be told. Finally, I'm going to leave you the last video we're going to watch. is another video by UPS. But what I want you to remember about that is, is UPS is a dirty, grimy logistics business. Right? Um, in the hierarchy of business, it's not all that exciting. It is just a get-it-done logistics business. And what they have done by focusing on their customers as the hero of the story, they have turned it into a very compelling message, right? I want you to remember it's a grimy logistics business when you watch this video. And also, as you're watching it, look for some of the components we talked about today with storytelling. When I was a child, I was crazy about looking at planes flying. And as soon as I could, I was flying kites. I'm not an engineer, I'm not a pilot. I just want to fly. And I don't just want to buy things to get me in the air. I want to make them. I set up my workshop in an old dairy building at home. And eventually it grew too big for fun. At the very beginning, every logistics company we used, we found problems with. With breaking equipment, things weren't turning up on time. Then I met Rachel from UPS, and it was absolutely night and day. I found that she not only solved many of our problems, she prevented them, like helping us with our packaging so they'd get to our customers in perfect condition. We shipped machines to Brazil, a tiny village in Africa, even Zanzibar. You want it to be looked after on its way because you're putting your life on this thing. We build flying machines. But what we deliver is seeing the world from a new perspective. The sky is endless, and it's ours. We just don't use it like we can. It's my life's passion to make sure we do. I'm Jerry Carvese, maker and designer of the Parajet Flying Machines. Thank you for your time. Wow. I, um, I was absolutely, I just tweeted out that I said the audience is entranced by Bobby Lee, who at least I was. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Was this helpful? You. That's the most important. Was it helpful? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had tears and everything. That was, that was extraordinary. And I want to. Um, we're going to break in 30 seconds. We want to run this like a Swiss train here. But I want to give a shout out to Bobby. Bobby has been in the promotional products industry for, what, 72 years yeah. or something? Yeah. It's been a long time. And in all seriousness, one of the reasons why I wanted Bobby to be here is that Bobby is not only a brilliant speaker uh, within the promotional products industry, but he also speaks outside the industry. He's uh, recently got some several high-profile gigs with Marketing Profs, which is one of the most premier marketing organizations and, and speakers bureaus um, in the world. And it's well outside of our industry. And Bobby is highly sought after. And he is now taking his message about marketing and storytelling and promotional products. And he is telling this story to people well outside this industry, so technically end users. And 
I think that we are really, really fortunate to have a bit of a homegrown hero that's out on the world stage. Um, it's even global. He was in Toronto a couple of months ago, and he was speaking to uh, one, of, um, uh, one of the fastest growing startups in, in Toronto um, that hired him and brought him up. So I just want to thank you, Bobby, for everything that you've done and wish you so much success as you go out and you move beyond our industry and speak to uh, world leaders about marketing and our industry. So Can we go back to insulting each other because this yeah, is very I know. uncomfortable. <laughs> Anyways, no, it'll happen later. All right. We